The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Once again, we're going to expose the darkness by shining the light. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to our thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. If you've got a Jewish-related question for me of any kind, about the Hebrew language, about Jewish tradition, about the Messianic prophecies of Jesus, Yeshua, Jewish background to the New Testament, controversies with Israel today, by all means, give me a call, 866-348-7884. You can be a Christian with a question as a Christian. You could be a Jewish person with a question as a Jewish person. Whatever your perspective is, your calls are warmly Welcome. First, though, we're going to deal with a very important issue. On a regular basis, we hear from people thanking us for our videos, a new series that demolishes the misinformation and deceptive tactics of Rabbi Tovia Singer. I've gone out of my way to say that I've dealt with counter-missionary rabbis for years that I hold in high regard, men that I consider to be men of integrity, men seeking to be honest and not deceptive in what they put forward. And then there is Rabbi Singer in another category. And I'm, I'm happy to back up every word, every syllable that I'm saying with fact, with information. All right, I'm, all I'm giving you is, is facts and telling you the truth. So his videos have gotten out, especially attacking the faith of born-again Christians, Gentile Christians. People are not Jews because originally counter-missionary, the focus was a Jewish person believes in Jesus, a Jewish person is converted to Islam, a Jewish person is a Buddhist, how can they bring him back to Jewish tradition? That's what they were doing. Tovia Singer has attacked the faith of Gentile Christians quite aggressively. They haven't been prepared for this as we are as Jewish believers. They don't know the resources that are out there. They don't know for all of the, if you want to call it a venom, the, the misinformation, the false things they're being told that there is an anti-venom. There are solutions, there are answers, there are biblically-based, sound, truthful answers, not aware, so some fall away. And, of course, thankfully, the number of people coming to the faith around the world massively dwarfs the number of those falling away. I mean, massively, massively. I'll, I'll put that together in video form one day, in article form. But I still grieve over those who are deceived, who are pulled away, who are misled, who are misinformed. So we've been putting out this video series, and... Today, we're going to focus on something really interesting. In fact, when I saw the video, I was like, what in the world? Because people send me links. I don't, I don't follow the channel or watch the, all the videos that are being put out, but people send me links. Dr. Brown, could you deal with this? Or what about this? Or if we're going to talk about it, uh, put out a new video, I'll look to see which ones seem to be getting the greatest attention, which ones have the most misleading information. And, and we'll do that so that we can give you tools my goal is to give you tools so that, that you can separate fact from fiction, so you can see the difference between light and darkness, so you can know what's truth and, and, and what is not truth. That's my goal. And then you can dig and you can study and you can see things for yourself. So this particular video, I don't remember how I came across it, could have come up on my feed on YouTube, but I thought, what in the, where is this coming? What? Seriously? So 
we're going to take a look at this video. The video we're going to focus on today features Rabbi Singer in Israel, and he's painting a very, very dangerous, nefarious picture, as if it's almost something new. So let's listen to what he says. Imagine this. That's a Korean Messianic congregation right here in the center of Jerusalem. They came from the Far East to the Middle East to bring the Jewish people to know more about Jesus, but in a Jewish way. That's not the only Messianic congregation here. Right up the street, you got King of Kings, another Messianic congregation that's there to bring the message of Jesus to the Jewish people, but in a Jewish way. Oh, okay, so first thing, this is the crime. This is the bad thing, that people are bringing the message of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, who was born King of the Jews, who died King of the Jews, who lived his life in Israel as a Torah-observant Jew, who presented himself as the Messiah of Israel, who died as the Messiah of Israel, who rose from the dead as the Messiah of Israel. All of his followers were Jews who followed him as the Messiah of Israel. So this is now some crime to be in Israel, telling the Jewish people to follow the one that we believe is the Jewish Messiah. The other thing is, there are actually several hundred Messianic congregations all over Israel. There have been scores and scores and scores of congregations for years and years and years and years. Some of them are exclusively Hebrew-speaking, some are exclusively Russian-speaking, some are English-speaking, uh, and they are there. Some are very small, little groups. Some, some may have 50 people. Some may have 100 or more. And you, do you think a Jewish person looking at a bunch of Koreans singing songs there is going to think, oh, I wonder, are they Orthodox Jew? No, there's no deception. They, they are Korean Christians who love Israel, who want to bless Israel, and who want to share the good news of the Messiah of Israel with their people, and mainly it's going to be other Korean Christians joining together who love Israel. That's the reality. As for King of Kings, by the way, King of Kings is multinational. King of Kings is Gentile Christians and Israeli Jews believing in Jesus all coming together. One of the things is to say, as Jew and Gentile, we come together. This is part of their mission statement. You can read it on their website. It's not like they're saying, oh, we are, we are all ultra-Orthodox Jews posing as secretly and we believe in Jesus. No, no, no. This is a, it, it is it is a congregation that loves the Jewish people, that loves the nations. They said their mission is also to the Arabs, to the nations. But of course, it's going to be portrayed here as if it's this nefarious, deceptive. There's no deception about it. They're open as to who they are, as to what they believe. Just walk in the door and you'll know that within seconds. But Rabbi Singer can't tell you that. Why? We'll get to the punchline in a little while. All right. The video continues. Let's listen. They believe that the Jewish people have to first be converted to Christianity in order to enable Jesus to return. And that's how they've come here, to evangelize these people, the young, the old, those who are most vulnerable to a message of the Messianic missionary movement. But they do it in a special way. They blur the distinctions between Judaism and Christianity in order to lure Jews who would otherwise resist a straightforward Christian message. This is very troubling to Jewish communities, not only in the Holy Land, but around the world. All right. First, Christians believe that the gospel has to go to the whole world for Jesus to return, that this gospel will be preached to the whole world. 
So why do you think there are missionaries all around the world? The vast majority, 99.99% of missionaries all over the world are not in Israel. They're sharing the gospel with people all around the world, with Muslims, with Hindus, with atheists, with Buddhists, with, every, with everybody. And we're not going to withhold it from our own people when we believe he's the Messiah, right? The Messiah of Israel. We share the gospel with Jewish people. When I share the gospel with a Jewish person, it's because I love that person. And I want him to know God the way I know him and experience forgiveness of sins and new life the way I have and, and find a deeper Jewish identity in Jesus Yeshua. And in doing so, just like with sharing with the Gentile, we are hopefully hastening the return of the Lord. But this is not that we're just going to target the Jews because that's going to bring back the Messiah. And this idea, they the old, the vulnerable. <clears throat> Come on, Rabbi Singer, we are sharing with everybody. We are sharing. In Israel, it has to be over a certain age before you can proselytize. We fully understand that, live by that. But we're sharing with everyone we can. And we, what, should we leave a, a, an old poor person alone? Should we, should, we, should we leave a 19-year-old that's impressionable? Should we leave that person alone? Should we only speak to a 40-year-old ultra-Orthodox rabbi who's going to be most resistant? No, we share with everybody. But when we try to reach out to the ultra-Orthodox, we're accused of trying to infiltrate. When we try to reach these people, we're, you're trying to destroy our lifestyle. No, we try to share the good news with everyone because we love everyone. And that's why, to say it again, 99.99% of missionary activity is outside of Israel taking place around the world because we want the whole world to hear the good news about Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, and the Savior of the world. Now, here is where it gets really interesting. And this is when I started to think, why is Rabbi Singer doing this? All right, let's listen. A training manual. A training manual on how to convert Jews to Christianity. I'm not kidding. Take a look at this. A training manual on how to share the Messiah with a Jew. Look at the letters. Look at the Hebrew shapes forming the English letters. Uh, uh huh. So let's take a look. I want to put up a screenshot for those who are watching. A close-up of this of this manual. Okay. When you look at it, it says by Manny Brotman, President of the Messianic Jewish Movement International. <clears throat> uh, all right. Manny Brotman went to be with the Lord many, many years ago. Manny Brotman probably put out that manual in the 1970s, okay? And it was helping your average Christian understand how to speak to a Jewish person. Let's let's put something else. Rabbi Singer has this on on his on his video, so we'll put up a screenshot for those watching. Messianic Soul Winners card. The, well, let's leave that up for a little while. The idea this is some there's new. Th first thing, this is probably 50 years old, certainly over 40 years old, and the reason you want to say Messiah Yeshua or Yeshua the Messiah is because when you say Jesus Christ to many Jewish people, they're not thinking of the same person. If I'm talking to an ultra-Orthodox Jew, and, and I'm, I mention the one they know is Yeshu, they think he's some sorcerer. They think that he's one that led Israel astray. They think there's a straight line from him to the Holocaust, all right? When you use certain terms, when you talk about the cross of Christ, all right, that means certain things to certain people, or the image of the cross, right? The message of the Messiah's sacrificial death, we preach without shame. But the image of the cross, that can be very negative. Someone thinks of crusades. They think of inquisitions. We've got nothing to do with that. That's not who we are. And our goal is not to, quote, get a Jew to convert to Christianity. 
Our goal is to get a Jew to embrace Jesus as Messiah. Many of my Jewish friends who did that had no Jewish identity before, and now they've moved to Israel. They've lived there for decades. Their kids serve in the IDF. They've, they are Israeli citizens. Why? Because as Jews, they felt now called because Jesus brought them to a deeper Jewish identity. Many of my friends were totally secular. Now they build the sukkah in celebration of tabernacles. Why? Because Jesus deepened their Jewish identity. But when we do that, we're called deceptive for doing it. So which way is it? Do you want Jews to live as Jews, Rabbi Singer? Which is what we're saying, but as Jews who follow the Messiah? All right, we're going to continue this on the other side of the break. Any Jewish-related calls, love to take them. 866-348-7884. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Jewish-related calls, 866-34-TRUTH. I'll be getting to them shortly. Have you downloaded our app yet? Oh, you got to. Absolutely free. Everything on it, free for you. Uh, So many great resources, so many great ways to interact with our ministry. ASK Dear Brown, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. That's the app, finally available on Apple and a completely updated one on Android. ASK Dear Brown, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. That's the app you want to download. And if you enjoy it, just give it a good rating or post a review. So here's what I find really interesting. When a Jewish person turns to Jesus, the Messiah, finds a deeper Jewish identity, a deeper connection to his his or her people, a deeper connection to the land and people of Israel, and even in a new covenant fashion, wants to enjoy the Sabbath blessings that God has given, wants to celebrate the biblical calendar, but in the fullness of the Messiah. When they do that, they're, you're deceivers. Rabbi Singh would say you're deceivers. You're just trying to put on Jewish garments and look to look a certain way. You're deceivers. If a Jewish person joins a church right? And just says, hey, I love Jesus Christ. I'm in this church. And they kind of lose their Jewish identity. Rabbi Singer says, you see, they just converted to Christianity. So you're kind of damned if you do or damned if you don't in in his viewpoint. The fact is, the reason that we are careful to use certain terms is so that we communicate clearly. So people understand what we're talking about. If you're an evangelist and you're having a gospel crusade, That may work in some countries or some parts of America, but you don't use that word if you're in the Muslim world or the Jewish world because the term crusade is offensive. Look, the political slogan, MAGA, make America great again, that meant one thing to white Americans and another thing to black Americans or Native Americans. The same words, but they have different connotation to different people. So you need to explain what you mean when you say something. 
This is not to deceive someone to get them to drink something unhealthy by telling them it's healthy. Rather, it's to get them to drink something unhealthy that they have unhealthy associations with because of bad church history or because of misinformation. This is a matter of getting truth out accurately. And why is Rabbi Singer showing something that written by Manny Brotman who passed away in 1999? Why not show five volumes that I wrote on answering Jewish objections to Jesus and say they're very serious resources that are out there, resources that are out there that are helping people understand the issues. I'm watching this thinking there's got to be some kind of agenda here. Something just is not lining up. Uh, all right, let, let me put up one more screenshot for you. Rabbi Singer holds this up. <gasps> It's the New Testament, and, and it's in Hebrew and in Yiddish. How terrible, how deceptive, how terrible. Our friends, around the world, the Bible is translated into the language of the people. Ultra-Orthodox Jews, Yiddish is often the first language, so you translate it into Yiddish. And because the disciples were all Jews, and they thought in Jewish ways, and the teachings of Jesus were originally given in Hebrew or Aramaic, it's all the more appropriate for New Testament to be translated into Hebrew. Some of the writings originally might have been in Hebrew or in Aramaic, but all of it came from that part of the world where people thought in that way, and people could read and understand Hebrew or spoke Aramaic. So it's perfectly appropriate to have a Hebrew New Testament, and it's perfectly appropriate to have it in Yiddish to reach Jewish speakers. What do you expect people to do? Here, you come to faith in Israel. You're an Israeli Jew. You're a sober. You're born and raised in Israel. Maybe you come from a secular home. Hebrew is your first language. You come to faith in Jesus. You join a congregation where they sing in Hebrew, where you read the New Testament in Hebrew, where you celebrate the biblical calendar, but with an emphasis on the coming of the Messiah. What's, what's wrong with, where is their deception? Where's there some terrible, nefarious thing going on? So I'm thinking, well, why on earth would Rabbi Singer be making such a weak presentation and trying to, oh, this thing is, this terrible thing is going on and you need to know about it. Using material that's like 50 years old. Why? Well, let's listen to one more part of the video and we'll find out why. As the new year is coming, as Rosh Hashanah is approaching, would you consider giving from what God has given you so that our work can continue, so that Jewish people who are lost there can come back to our heritage, to our faith? Ah, it's a fundraising video, of course, because he's got other videos where he's saying so many Christians are leaving the faith and we're seeing so much success and Jews are having their eyes open. And so why the scare tactic video, which is, I mean, so poor material, like 40, 50 years old, as if it's this new thing and presenting something, just giving people wisdom as to how to share the message of the Jewish Messiah with Jewish people in a way that's meaningful that they can understand. It's called cultural sensitivity. We all, we all do it in our communication. You travel around the world, you do it, you understand. This word means this in this culture, this in that culture. So let us communicate in a way that people understand. Let us use words that they understand, not to deceive, but to convey the truth. He's doing it to raise funds. Look, I will raise funds to counter 
his deception. I will raise funds to help support our missionaries serving the poor and the hurting around the world. And I'll tell you exactly what I'm doing without creating some whole false scenario. But when I watched this, I thought, why in the world put out a video like this with such bad examples and such old material and try to paint it in such a way to create fear because he's raising money. Better to just say, you know, around the world, Jewish people continue to come to Jesus. And there are sophisticated resources out there from many different Messianic Jewish leaders. And there are those who are willing to debate the issues publicly. And around the world, the message of the Jewish roots of the faith is spreading through the whole church in a very powerful way. And that concerns me. And, and then he goes out and raises his money. But no, it's got to be the old fear tactics. It's, it's a bit worn out, Rabbi Singer. It really is. All right. Well, let us see. Time to go to the phones, and we will start with Yolanda in Florida. Welcome to the line of fire. It don't even have to be a fire. Yolanda, you are on the air. Hold on, Petra. I'm on the air. I'm on the air. Hey there. Hi. Hey, Brown, yeah, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Um, this is my first time calling. I'm very excited. And thank you for your book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Great. And I need your mailing address because I have a letter to mail you um, about something when I saw you at the MJAA last November. That was in Orlando. Okay. okay. My girlfriend, um, her name is Susan, and she's Jewish. She's a, she's a believer out of New York, where we're from. She, um, she's an excellent teacher. Her name is Susan Pellegrini. Well, anyway, she, we, when I first moved to Florida, I was attending this place, this, this congregation, and they were talking about the two sticks, mm-hmm. two house. And so when Susan taught it, it made so much sense, right? But I can, I can never teach it. I, I still don't, I still don't grasp it. Whenever she taught it, it made sense. So then we started going to this other congregation who turned out to be two sticks or two house. I guess that's what they call it as well. So can you explain that to me? To make yeah, it sure. make sense? Because a friend of mine who visits there, um, he keeps saying they, 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 it's like we, we're Gentile and we're Cohen, we're, we're, we're part of Ephraim, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Lord. So yeah, let me, let me explain it, Yolanda. Okay. And um, I, I, the first thing is, I don't agree with it, okay? So the fact it's confusing to you is good because I don't agree with it. What the two-house theory says is this, that many of the passages in the Old Testament that talk about Ephraim or Joseph being reunited with Judah, that Judah, that's the Jewish believers in Jesus, and that Ephraim is the Gentile believers in Jesus. However... These Gentile believers in Jesus actually can spiritually trace back to the lost tribes of Israel, or they are actually remnants of the lost tribes of Israel, so that the Gentile believers in Jesus are actually hidden Israelites. So now, when you come to faith in Jesus, you kind of rekindle your alleged Israelite ancestry, and therefore you should uh, keep the biblical laws and, and, and all of that, and that these Jewish and Gentile believers, by coming together as one, reunite Israel. I do not believe that is what Scripture says. A Gentile believer is loved by God the same as a Jewish believer, but just like a man is loved by God the same as a woman, we are different. 
So Jewish believers represent all the 12 tribes of Israel among us. All the 12 tribes of Israel would be represented through history as Jewish believers in Jesus. There are Gentile believers, which is the vast majority of the church, representing the people of the nations who are not called to live as Jews, but to live as they live in new life in the Messiah. So the two become one, not by somehow reuniting the tribes of Israel or Ephraim and and Judah being united. No, the two become one by being in Jesus as Jew and Gentile. I hope that helps. You can send a letter to P.O. Box 5546. P.O. Box 5546. Concord, C-O-N-C-O-R-D. Concord, North Carolina. 28027. P.O. Box 5546. Concord, North Carolina. 28027. Hey, God bless, Yolanda. Good talking to you. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. 866-348-7884. Everyone in Huntsville, Alabama, join us for a special Israel conference this weekend at a fine church in Huntsville. Details on our website, sdrbrown.org. Click on itinerary. Or if you have the app, come on, you got the app, right? Just look for itinerary and you can see exactly where I'm going to be. In fact, if you're on our email list, we would have told you I was coming your way. Yeah, that's right. So get our emails. Easy to do on the app or just sign up on the website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. We've got so much we want to pour into you as your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. There's so much we want to infuse you with faith and truth and courage and hope and strength and information so that you can stand strong and, and shine light into dark places. So let us pour into you. Get the email. Sign up now at askdrbrown.org. All right, let's go to Ivan. Or is it Yvonne in El Paso, Texas? Ivan. Ivan. All right. Great. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you. So um, I wanted to know what's your opinion on Ezekiel 22, um, verse 15 to 22. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a gathering there. Uh, Actually, first there's a, a scattering of the people of Israel, and then there's a gathering. Yeah. And this particular gathering, there seems to be, there's going to be some kind of destruction there. Uh, and I, I, from what I read, it's linked to Ezekiel 21st, where there's some kind of nuclear explosion there being described. So I was wondering, uh, you know, what's your opinion on that? Why is it that no one uh, talks about this particular gathering? Yeah, well, well, some do teach about it, but I'm not looking... I don't believe it's talking about a future nuclear explosion, but the fall of Jerusalem in 586. That that's what Ezekiel mm-hmm. is focused on. When you get to the 33rd chapter, his his mouth opens, he can speak. When Jerusalem fell, that's when his, his mouth was open. So that's a focus mm-hmm. of the book, the fall of Jerusalem back uh, over 2,500 years ago. 
And that is the, the Jewish people, uh, the king rebelling against Babylon, the terrible suffering that they went through, the fall of the city, starvation, death, lamentations describes it. That's what's being spoken of there uh, in terms of the, the attack on Jerusalem, the suffering of the people there. Not a future event, but something that took place already. And that's a major theme oh, of Ezekiel. You know, look at it like this. If, if you and I talk about the elections, the elections, the elections, the elections, and these are very important elections, we're talking about the elections coming up in, in, a, in a month, right? And then maybe two years from now, but we're not talking about elections in the year 3081. So the same thing in Ezekiel, yeah. there are passages that are for the future, and you know it because let's say Ezekiel says uh, one through 10 will take place, but only one through five take place. So you go, mm -hmm. okay, so six through 10 are still to take place. But if, it, if he says one through five will take place and in his day it happened, then you know that's what it's talking about. So it's past events and you can see how horrible it was by reading the book of Lamentations or by reading the book of Jeremiah. Okay. And, and one so, last thing. Yeah, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. Uh, no, I was going to just uh, reiterate what you just said. That ba So basically you believe that all these already happened. Yeah, yeah. Not, now there's much prophecy okay. in Ezekiel that's still future. For example, if you start in 36, you'll see that some of what was prophesied, the regathering of the exiles, happened with the, with the return from the exiles around 530, about 50 years after the temple was destroyed. But much of what mm -hmm. pro was prophesied still hasn't happened. It's in the process of happening. Or Ezekiel 37, the gathering of the dry bones, it happened in part when the exiles returned, but not in full. We're still watching that happen and waiting. Ezekiel 38, the final war, Gog and Magog, that has not happened yet. But much of what's prophesied in Ezekiel did happen. And when you see something that, well, that could sound like a nuclear explosion, think more in terms of the prophet speaking in dramatic language about the intensity of the suffering and disaster that would come. And like I said, read up through the 33rd chapter, and you'll see when Jerusalem falls, that's when Ezekiel is able to speak on his own, because otherwise for years he could only speak when God released him to give a word. Great question, though. I, I really appreciate it. Now, there's, there's a purging in Zechariah 13, there's a debate, is that future or is that past? There's a debate about that. But Ezekiel 22 clearly would be past. Thank you, sir, for the call. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Chad in Colorado. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello. Hey. Uh, my question is, yeah, my, my question's about Jeremiah 3318, mm -hmm. which um, the ESV translates this as, the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, burnt grain offerings, yep. and to make sacrifices forever. So I'm just wondering how, how you make sense of this in light of, you know, the New, Test New Testament teaching that Jesus fulfilled the Old Covenant sacrificial system. And I'm also kind of curious if, if your current understanding of this verse is different than you think it would be if you were, say, an ancient Israelite living back in the historical context in which Jeremiah was written, do you think you would understand the passage differently if you were living mm -hmm. back then? Uh, let so me, those are my two questions. Let me ask you a question. Isn't the bigger question than how does this apply with Jesus fulfilling the sacrificial system? Isn't the bigger question, if, if that's true, then if, if there's never been a lack of a Levite offering burnt offerings, 
then what do you do through history without that happening? In other words, for, forget what, not forget, but put aside for a moment what happened on the cross. The bigger question of, of what you're asking is really, how is that true, right? How could that statement be true when in point of fact, there, there have been centuries without a Levite offering, burnt offering and sacrifices? So, yeah, um, well, there, there are a couple of things I would, I would say that. Well, one is that, so I'm not a Jew, so I don't, I don't really, I'm not coming at this with some commitment that the text has to necessarily be true. Okay. Um, but also, it, it does seem like when I read the context of the passage, like it's talking about a time in which Israel is fully restored. You know, in verse 16 it says, in those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will, right. will dwell securely. Yep. And so given that, given that the context seems to be talking about this final restoration of Israel, I suppose a Jew could potentially say that, that this is talking about a future time in which you know, in which Israel is fully restored, and therefore they could sort of get out of this objection of saying, well, look, you know, there's been this long period of time where there haven't been it, there haven't been um, any grain offerings or a temple to bring sacrifices to. Yeah, so, so the, uh, to answer, and thanks, thanks for articulating that, I appreciate it. First, I want to read this in the new JPS, uh, verses 17 and 18, for thus said the Lord, there shall never be an end to men of David's line who sit upon the throne of the house of Israel, nor shall there ever be an end to the line of the Levitical priests before me of those who present burnt offerings and turn the meal offerings to smoke and perform sacrifices. So number one, it's speaking of the perpetuity of the lines, which of course have continued through the ages. Number two, through Jesus the Messiah, the Davidic promises have been fulfilled and he is the son of David who continues to rule and reign. And number three, even in the book of Acts, it mentioned Levites and priests coming to faith so that you've you've even had these people as part of the 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 larger body of Christ part of the church worshiping the God of Israel all these centuries but let's ask the other question could there be a restored temple with levites functioning in the future sure e- even rabbinic tradition says that in the age to come the only sacrifices that will be offered will be thanksgiving offerings for example burnt offerings were not for atonement those were offerings of dedication so many believe that you could have sacrifices in the future of dedication of of celebration of consecration of cleansing from outward impurity etc but not like the day of atonement where it was for forgiveness of sins I like to argue that this passage is ultimately fulfilled through Jesus. Otherwise, you know, what's happened to the, to the house of David sitting on the throne, etc. But this is really a promise to the perpetuity of these lines, which God, in fact, has preserved. Now, if I heard it in Jeremiah's day, would I have thought differently? Well, you're always going to, if you're hearing something thousands of years earlier and then looking back thousands of years later, it's impossible to think you're going to hear it the exact same way, right? I mean, you could go today to other parts of America and read the same newspaper headlines and people hear them differently, uh, let alone go back a thousand or two thousand years in history. I might think that this is saying we're always going to have a, a king sitting on the throne and we're always going to have uh, Levites and priests in the temple. On the other hand, Jeremiah declared the temple would be destroyed and the people exiled. So they must have realized, okay, there's going to be some change. But the big promise here is A, perpetuity, that the lines will remain, which they have. The, there are people descended from, many people with the last name Levi are descended from the Levites, in fact. Uh, and 
uh, the throne of the, David's line through Jesus the Messiah continues to this day. And if there is a restored temple, yeah, there's no problem with the concept. A millennial temple when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom with, with special offerings being, being lifted up before the Lord, as long as they don't uh, intersect with what Jesus did on the cross, no problem with that at all. Other passages seem to point in that direction also. Okay. Um, I guess I'm still a little, I'm a little confused as to like, what would, what would Jeremiah be trying to communicate here in verse 18 if he's not trying to say that there will continue, there will be, you know, once Israel's restored, there will continue to be burnt offerings. I mean, I, I take it, maybe I misunderstood, but I take it you don't interpret verse 18 to mean that there will be perpetual burnt offerings. No, 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 there, um, in the there, there well could okay. be. Yeah, that's what I've said. Yeah. There well could be those kind of, that has nothing to do with atonement. A burnt offering is an yeah. offering of, of dedication. Why why couldn't there be burnt offerings? In other words, yeah, how, does, I mean, that, I guess, how does how does that tie in with the atonement of Jesus? It doesn't. Yeah. Um I guess maybe so if I wanted to talk about like atonement sacrifices, maybe Ezekiel 45 versus 22 might be more um, specific about right. that, though that would probably be a call for a different day. Right, right. Um, yeah. So, to tell you what, let's let's continue the conversation, all right? But uh, I don't know what's what the future holds, because it's still future, even though there seem to be prophecies that point in this direction. But it could be the prophet speaking in the language that he had, and the language of what he understood, but these things ultimately are images of worship and dedication that don't require physical blood sacrifices. But, but Chad, give it a few weeks just because we asked with callers. We'll continue the conversation. It's an important one. Fair enough? All right, thanks. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. We give thanks to God and praise His name. Welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Friends, if if you've come across objections to your faith in Jesus or attacks on the New Testament based on alleged Jewish objections, we've dealt with these for many, many years. Some of my books now on these subjects have been out over 20 years. So check out the resources. Go to realmessiah.com, realmessiah.com, or on your app, on the Ask Dr. Brown Ministries app. Just scroll down, and, and you'll see Real Messiah. Just click on that. Those are our Jewish resources countering counter-missionaries and answering the rabbis and answering common Jewish objections and debates I've had with rabbis. I love people to get both sides. I love people to hear both sides. If, if you gave me the option of going to a college campus and giving a lecture versus doing a debate on a controversial subject, I'd, I would rather do the debate. Why? Because I want people to hear both sides. And this way they can think in an informed way and naturally, when you do that, you can get to more people as well because there'll be an interest from both sides to hear. If we're afraid of what the other side's going to present, then our side's not that strong or we're not confident in our presentation. 
So let's get everything out on the table. That's what we live for. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. We go over to Trudy in Minnesota. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Oh, hi, Dr. Brown. I've, I've actually watched you for years, so this is pretty exciting. Um, so, you know, I have a, a weird question. I feel like um, I feel like I have pretty, you know, a vast, you know, knowledge of the Bible. and been, you know, saved pretty much my whole life. But, you know, I came across something in uh, Judges 11, and I know you, you might even know where I'm going. It's uh, with that. If, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's um, Jephthah's yeah, Jep- daughter. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. No, what I'm wondering is, um, I've, I've never I've never seen this before. And so, you know, at 40 years old, I'm a little shocked. And, and so how do I conclude, or or maybe if people don't aren't familiar with what I might be talking about, um, maybe you can touch with that. Yeah, and, so and I'll, 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 I'll tell the story then. So Jephthah yeah. was kind of an unlikely candidate, son of a prostitute, outcast, who ends up fighting Israel's battles and becomes the national judge, national leader uh, in the, the book of Judges. So the judges were like national leaders, not just sitting there adjudicating cases. Uh, so he comes back from victory and he makes a vow to the Lord. The first thing that comes out of my tent, I'm going to sacrifice to you because they live with livestock and things like that. you get got animals walking around. So the first one that comes out is his daughter rejoicing and singing and celebrating because, oh, no, I'm going to sacrifice you to the Lord. So she's all right, let me just mourn for a while with my friends and then you can do it. Now, scholars debate whether he literally killed her or whether whether she just had to be celibate and single for life. He could never have children. I mean, that's the nice construction. The more likely is he carried out the vow. It's a horrific thing. Yeah. It's a stupid thing. It was a foolish thing for him to utter. But the book of Judges just tells the way it is. In other words, it's, it's not trying to paint a good picture. It tells us the way it is. I mean, Samson, all the mistakes he makes and, and others and the... I mean, horrific things that happen. You just read through to the end. You think, oh, boy. And what does it say at the beginning and at the end that they they had no king? They did what was right in their own eyes. So this is not a positive. This is not a good thing that he did. It's just recorded. You hope somehow that maybe he fulfilled the vow, but she now belonged to the Lord and was consecrated to God and, and sacrificed in that way and just couldn't marry, couldn't have children. And that's why she's mourning. But yeah. That's that's possible, but the more <laughs> likely is that he actually sacrificed his own daughter. A terrible thing. And you say, well, why not just take it back? Well, the one thing in Judges, which is so interesting, is people kept their vows. That's the crazy yeah. thing. In the midst of the lawlessness, like, if I said it, I have to do it. But it's another dark chapter in a dark book about a dark time in Israel's history. I think I think the, the takeaway, I guess... With that would be, um, yeah, is that I, I guess that for some reason I was, I, I looked at the Bible a lot in the fact that everybody that was written in there did everything that was right or, or whatever, because they were written about, they were doing what exactly collectively what God wanted. But actually, these are just, if I look at it as these are things that people did that, I mean, it was obviously, like you said, it wasn't, the, it wasn't a smart, it wasn't a smart vow. Yeah. So, so take it, when, when we hang up, Go to 1 Corinthians, yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, yeah. and, and read the first 11 verses with the application in verse 12, which basically say, learn from what Israel did wrong. This is written to warn us. So 1 Corinthians 
chapter 10, the first 11 or 12 verses. Here's the other thing. Ecclesiastes tells you, be careful when you make a vow. Be careful. Judges tells you, be careful when you make a vow, but in a different way. It doesn't give you the teaching. It shows you the lesson. And the Bible does both. The Bible gives examples of people doing good, and then it calls us to do good. It gives examples of people being bad, and and then it calls us not to do bad. So it, it gets the point across in both of these ways very, very powerfully. And the stories really stay with us. Hey, Trudy, thanks for calling in. I appreciate yeah, thank it. You. God bless you. All right, uh, bye-bye. All right, God bless. All right, uh, let's go over to Jim in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you very kindly. I have a question. I might need to further explain it. How can a Christian introduce Jesus to a Jew and not somehow, some way, get the recipient Jew to forsake the Sabbath and turn to worshiping on Sunday? I guess I'm trying to ask, can a Jewish convert accept Jesus as the Messiah and continue worshiping from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday instead of worshiping on Sunday? Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. Number one, Jesus never changed the Sabbath to Sunday. That's a teaching that became uh, passed in the church almost 400 years later. So Jesus never actually changed it to Sunday. And there's no commandment anywhere in the New Testament to set aside the first day of the week for worship or for rest. In fact, for the early church, that was a regular work day. And and believers developed the custom of getting up early in the morning or meeting after work to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And then over a period of time, over the centuries, that became looked at as the Christian Sabbath. But absolutely, There's no reason why a Jewish person coming to faith in Jesus could not continue to celebrate the Sabbath as they've done it. If they were a religious Jew, they might not follow all of the traditions because the rabbis in their zeal for the Sabbath added many traditions. Uh, They may do it differently, but and they may be part of a Messianic congregation that meets Saturday morning just like a church meets Sunday morning. And we can have that diversity, right? You meet Sunday morning, we meet Saturday morning. You meet in the home, we meet in the building. We do it different ways. The other thing, though, Jim, the vast majority of Jews in America are fairly secular and don't actually strictly observe the Sabbath. So if they came to faith, they may be just as home in a church service on a Sunday uh, as anybody else because the vast majority of Jewish people who come to faith, like when I came to faith, I wasn't a religious Jew. I was a heavy drug user. And I hardly went to, to synagogue on the Sabbath growing up, and we didn't celebrate it in a strict way so when I got saved, I was Sunday was not the new Sabbath, but I was happy to go to church on Sunday. But Jim, absolutely, there is no reason whatsoever if a Jewish person comes to faith in Jesus that they should not continue to observe a seventh-day Sabbath. There, there's no reason against it, and there's no New Testament command to turn the seventh-day Sabbath into Sunday. There's not a New Testament command for that. Thank you, sir, for your call. I appreciate it. Um, all right. Paul in California, you've been holding for a while. I don't have time to bring you on. And the question is not specifically Jewish, but I'm going to just respond quickly. In John chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, when Jesus says, receive the Spirit, is that the born-again experience? Uh, I don't look at it as such that at that moment they were born again and they had not been born again before that. 
uh, it is either at that moment they receive a token, a deposit of the empowering of the Holy Spirit that they're going to get at Pentecost, or at that moment the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within them. Now, you might say, well, that is the born-again experience when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within them. But I do not look at them as unsaved, unregenerate, not born again before that time and only born again after that time. Rather, I look at them as coming into a deeper relationship with God by His Spirit and subsequently being empowered by His Spirit. But I do not see that as the born-again experience there. Hey, I just wanted to get to your question. Okay, friends, Israel, I know it's October now, but May is going to be here before you know it. Before you know it, we're going to be looking back on 2022 and well into 2023. So if you want to join us in Israel for the trip of a lifetime, you know, for me, just the little snapshots, just praying together at the wall at the Kotel in Jerusalem, or just being on Mount Carmel, looking out at Armageddon and talking about this is where Elijah called on fire from heaven, or, or the just the baptisms at the River Jordan, which when I first went to do them, I thought this is hokey. Now it's become a very sacred part of the trip. Or one thing that folks seem to see, it feels to highlight the worshiping on a boat in Galilee. I mean, there's a lot of special stuff we're going to be doing together with worship, prayer, teaching at night as well, one-on-one time where we'll be together in smaller settings. So go to askdrbrown.org, A-S-K, drbrown.org. Get your deposit in. Come with your family, especially if you've got older kids. Let's do this together. Israel or bust, May of 2023. God bless you. Another program powered by the Truth Network.